today's episode. If you've got an informed marketing strategy and know your cost of production, um, you're in a better place to be able to make the most um, of the crop that you've got to sell. Where the price is currently, while it's much lower than it was 10 months ago, um, compared to a few years ago, it, it's still higher than sort of the five-year average. Um, so kind of just taking the emotion out of it of thinking, well, you know, it's come down a lot. I'm going to wait for it to go back up again kind of thing. Um, look at sort of the fundamentals, look at global supply, look at the information that's out there. Um, and, you know, is it worth selling some of your grain ahead of harvest or even starting to look at Harvest 24 as well. Welcome to Cropcast. I am Tiffany Stevenson and today we're joined by Julie Clark, Senior Knowledge Exchange Manager at AHDB and Olivia Bonser, a Market Intelligence Analyst at AHDB. Today we're going to be discussing the importance of benchmarking and how it can help you make better decisions as well as discussing current and longer-term market forces and how these are going to impact cost of production going forward. If you listen through until the end, you'll get an update from just now out in the field. Thank you, Julie and Olivia, for joining us today. Julie, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Hi, Tiffany. Um, so I'm Julie Clark, the Lead Farm Bench Manager at AHDB. So I um, do a dual role at AHDB. I look after the Farm Bench Manager's team across the UK and also cover Scotland um, as a region, working with a number of different farmers in the cereals and oilseed sector, looking at their costs um, and their benchmarking figures. Thanks, Julie. And Olivia, would you like to give us a bit of a rundown of what you do? Yep. So I'm Olivia. I work for HDB in the market intelligence team. So I focus on cereals and oil seeds and we look at global supply and demand and domestic supply and demand and how that's impacting pricing and market trends around the world. Great. So we've got two excellent people joining us here today. So we're going to try and have a look at both benchmarking and uh, markets um, together as we go along. But Julie, do you want to just start off by telling us what benchmarking actually is? Yes, Tiffany, thank you. Um, so benchmarking um, is used across all different industries, um, not just in agriculture. Uh, we utilise a tool called FarmBench, which is AHDB's own benchmarking tool. Um, and it's used um, as a, a, a method of, comparison, uh, of, compa of comparing enterprises um, such as spring barley, winter wheat, winter oilseed rape. Um, within Scotland, we focus on cereals crops um, and we look at comparisons from a local level as well as a national level as well so that we can get uh, true figures of what it's costing to produce various crops and then compare how they are doing in comparison to others locally and nationally. So I'm assuming there's some way that you scale it depending on the size of farm um, that you're looking at in the figures as well. Yeah, that's correct. We um, look at 
benchmarking enterprises. So we look at each crop as an enterprise um, and then we can look at the area of that crop growing. So we do see um, various comparisons if there is um, a larger area of crop growing versus smaller, but we also see some similarities as well. Um, we look at this from a per hectare and a per tonne basis um, to make sure that we're getting true comparisons um, for our farmers when they're utilising the benchmarking tool. So what sort of feedback have you had from FarmBench, Julie? So we collate uh, feedback from our group members after they've attended their winter group meeting. Um, and what we're seeing is that over 70% of people are making clear changes to their business and the way that they grow crops after utilising farm bench and attending the group meetings. Um, some of these changes include um, taking a closer look at those overhead costs and thinking about um, spending going forward in terms of investment in kit or in property on the farm. Um, and also looking at rotations um, comparing to others in the group and looking at growing more profitable crops uh, versus crops that maybe aren't as profitable um, due to weather location uh, of where their farm is. So I think having the opportunity to um, share their information with others, share the figures, it, it gives them real confidence to see exactly what's working in the area and what other crops they could grow in their rotation um, moving forward. Olivia, do you have anything to add about benchmarking? Um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely from a market's point of view as well, benchmarking can be quite good to calculate your costs and figure out maybe your break-even points and compare your costs to others. And, um, you know, especially in the last couple of years when prices have been very volatile, it's important to sort of map out your costs and compare yourself to other um, others in the industry as well. So I think it can be really useful for that and to find a good grain marketing strategy as well. So Olivia, why is it important to understand the market um, which you're going to be selling into? Um, well, you know, especially over the last couple of years, markets have been very volatile. We've gone um, from normal levels a couple of years ago to the peak that it reached in May 22. Um, and now we're sort of on a downwards trajectory again. Um, and in a way, you know, the important thing is how that cost relates to your inputs and what margins you can make on that. So, Julie, over the last couple of years, you have had a number of benchmarking groups. How did you find it changed when the uh, prices and cost of inputs reached their peak? What differences did you see? So I think um, up to this period, Tiffany, we've been relatively lucky and not seen the full impact um, of the cost rises for the harvest of 2022. However, we are going to see that full impact um, in 2023. So across the figures that we have in FarmBench, um, we did see a rise of costs of about 13% from the 2021 to 2022 harvest, but forecasting um, where we're at in terms of the input costs, obviously there's been a huge rises in things uh, like fertilizer, fuel, machinery, 
Um, so we're expecting to see closer to 30% rise in costs from 2022 to 2023. Um, I suppose what this is telling us is that, um, you know, we have to play um, the markets a bit better as an industry. Um, and I would say personally from the groups that I work with across the country, um, people are working on marketing strategies and looking into that in more detail. So they are getting um, that bit more for their crop due to the cost rises that are, that are coming thick and fast. Yeah, they'll definitely be needing the slightly higher prices where they can achieve them after those cost increases. So Olivia, Whilst all those costs were going up, what was happening with the markets? Yeah, so genuinely over, generally over the past sort of eight to 10 months, um, there's been a downwards trajectory. It's quite a bearish market at the moment. Um, you know, very competitive Black Sea supplies coming onto the market. Um, Russian grain is very uh, competitive at the moment. Global demand is is quite lackluster um you know it's not just the uk that we're having economic issues and cost of living crisis um you know china for example struggled economically as well so global demands down quite a bit um and also as we head to the new season we're expecting quite ample um crops in the northern hemisphere so generally it's quite a bearish uh market at the moment and obviously in relation to those high input costs, it's it's quite difficult with grain prices coming down, but input costs um, being up at the start of the planting season. So, um, yeah, it's quite quite challenging at the moment. Yeah, definitely has been challenging. Well, hopefully with the cost of production, hopefully coming down a little bit going forward, it might balance itself out a little better. Yeah, so actually um, earlier today I was looking at the latest fertiliser prices. So um, fertiliser prices for May, um, the HDB released earlier, I think were down about 46% from the same time last year. Um, and obviously it's the time of year where a lot of farmers are buying quite a bit of fertiliser. So um, it'll be interesting moving forward, seeing how those input costs that are now decreasing a bit um, impact us further ahead as well. It's definitely going to be an interesting period coming up as well. So, Julie, the people who have been doing benchmarking, what changes are you seeing them make on their farms as a result of the benchmarking? So, we, we've already touched on marketing strategies, and I think that's one that's um, been a bit more popular in the in the pre in the years uh, past. Um, but what we've looked at um, mainly is those um, overhead costs, and that has been the kind of key driver of people thinking about their machinery replacement policy, how they can better better utilise fuel, um, weighing up utilising contractors versus buying new kits because um, like everything else that's that's risen, um, prices of tractors, implements, combines have went up over the past few years as well quite significantly. So we've did quite a bit of focus on looking at um, machinery as a whole and I think you know fertiliser and nitrogen use is going to be that kind of key driver for this year because of the large prices that were paid for the fertiliser that's utilised for the 2023 harvest. So, Olivia, how are the markets currently looking with harvest just around the corner? 
So at the moment, um, the short term sort of trajectory is expected to remain quite bearish. Um, you know, we've still got those Black Sea supplies coming in that are very competitive. Um, however, it is quite volatile at the moment. So, um, you know, tensions have been rising. Um, you might have seen the news about the, the dam destruction that might impact um, farmers as well in terms of irrigation in Ukraine. Um, so we, we are getting sort of snippets of bullish news um, regarding the Black Sea situation. But ultimately, um, the fundamentals, supply and demand offer quite bearish market. So, for example, as we're approaching harvest in the Northern Hemisphere, um, U.S. crops, the U.S. wheat specifically, um, is expected to be quite a big year, even though they've got drought issues um, in some key producing areas um, because their planted area saw quite a big increase. Um, we don't think that there's going to be a huge impact on output from the US. And in terms of the EU as well, the EU wheat's looking quite good at the moment. There aren't any major concerns with weather or anything like that, um, apart from further in the south. So Spain, Portugal, parts of Italy are struggling slightly. Um, but generally, the outlooks for, for quite plentiful supply um, for harvest and global demand as well. Um, you know, it's quite, quite lackluster at the moment. So uh, definitely something to watch. And domestic wise as well, um, we're expecting to be heading into the new season with quite a surplus of domestic feed wheat. Um, you know, we had quite a big harvest last last harvest, harvest 22. Um, and because animal feed demand has been quite slow, um, we are, we're expecting to head into the new season with quite high um, stocks as well. And we're expecting quite a decent wheat crop for harvest 23 as well. So it could be that we have, again, a surplus of feed wheat next year. Um, slightly there are some slight concerns that will struggle more on the milling side of things. Um, so it could be worth considering that milling premiums might be a bit higher next season. Um, but yeah, generally quite bearish at the moment, apart from those those premiums, potentially molting barley premiums could be quite good as well. Um, but we will know more when we know exactly what area we've got as well. Um, we've got planting variety survey coming out in a few weeks, which should give us some more insight into, um, you know, areas, what we can expect from supply from Harvest 23 as well. So there's lots of things to watch, but I think the general takeaway is that it's quite, uh, quite bearish, both domestically and globally at the moment. So it looking like it might favor either those that have managed to keep their cost of production quite low, or those who are looking to go into a premium market. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, on the wheat side of things, especially, it's going to be quite interesting to see whether those that have gone for the milling premiums, um, spent a bit more on fertilizer and so on, um, will be better off than those who have either tries, chosen to stuck with feed wheat, um, but they've got lower cost of production. It's going to be quite interesting to see whether those premiums are strong enough um, to have kind of made it worthwhile spending more on fertilizer, if that makes sense. It definitely sounds like Julie's going to have a lot of fun in the benchmarking groups over the winter once we find out how it plays out. 
Yeah, I think we're going to see um, a bigger range of figures across the groups than we've seen previously just because of um, variations in pricing of fertiliser. There will be some people that still bought relatively well in comparison to where the, the highs of the market were. And then there'll be people that paid that top price for for fertiliser, which is a bit frustrating when the, the market's now coming um, coming back down again. So I think we'll, we'll see quite a variation there. Um, and I, I think, you know, looking at some of the budget figures, fertiliser is going to be, you know, the biggest cost taking over the power and machinery that we tend to see um, and we've seen for the last however many years. So um, it'll be interesting just to have the conversations around how people have utilised that in organic fertilizer and whether they've looked at alternative types of nitrogen going forward to try and cut to cut costs but not necessarily reduce yield. Julie, for the people that do you have seen that do go and think about um, selling a bit quicker, do you usually see a difference in the results in the benchmarking or not? I think those that make informed decisions on their marketing tend to um, have a better return at the end. Not a huge amount of return, but um, because they have been benchmarking, some of the groups that I'm working with have been benchmarking for almost 10 years now. Um, they're really confident in, in knowing exactly what it's costing them to grow a crop and are also utilising Farm Bench as a bit of a budgeting tool. So they're forecasting forward exactly what it's going to be costing them and have their input cost to hand. So therefore, they can then make that decision based on where the market is and whether that that net margin is going to be enough for them. So if you've got an informed marketing strategy and know your cost of production, um, you're in a better place to be able to make the most um, of the crop that you've got to sell. So making the most of it, you're saying some people know all their figures before they've gone and spent money, which is great. How far in advance are you seeing people starting to benchmark? Are they already benchmarking the 2024 season just now and potentially thinking about selling like Olivia's suggesting? So, um, as I mentioned, we do a bit of budgeting with Farm Bench and we would tend to do that early um, in the new year, looking forward to the 2023 harvest. That's what we did this year. But we do have people that are you know, buying fertiliser at the moment and are selling forward to 2024. Um, one, to obviously help with cash flow, but two, to obviously, you know, knowing now what they've, what they've paid for that, which is going to be the one of the highest input costs that they've got in um, their crop production growing costs um, so knowing that cost now and then looking at the markets forward and thinking well I can sell a certain percent to, to cover that so again thinking about cash flow as well in the business Sounds very sensible Olivia just thinking about markets are there some longer term factors which you're beginning to see are going to be coming through and may influence influence us over the next I don't know two three five ten years in the future um I think it's quite difficult at this stage to sort of look years in advance I think especially you know the last couple of years that we've had it I don't think you could have foreseen that wheat was going to reach the, the prices that it did sort of thing um you know the last year or so we've been guided more by um 
not more by, but largely by geopolitical factors um, rather than just the fundamental supply and demand. Um, so obviously we're monitoring what's going on in Russia and Ukraine quite closely. Um, we don't know what's going to happen there and what's going to happen with the grain corridor and um, how much grain we can get out of Ukraine going forward. Um, but yeah, I think generally it's it's quite soon to look sort of five, ten years ahead because you don't know what's going to happen um, geopolitical wise, especially. I'm sure if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would never have gone and said about Russia invading Ukraine. It probably wouldn't have even crossed my mind. <laughs> no, exactly. So is there any changes on what people are eating um, in the likes of Britain or across the world? Because I know everyone's saying about eating less meat. Are they going into consuming more grain on the way just to kind of fill in that gap? Um, no, not massively. I don't think we've seen huge impacts of the cost of living crisis in the UK. There has been some sort of shifts from you know, premium ranges. Um, obviously, we look at flour um, and use of wheat and flour milling, for example. Um, and I think those those premium ranges have struggled a bit, but obviously flour is quite a staple in the diet. It's a good source of um, calories and it's not too expensive. So it, I think it's struggled slightly from people eating out less, but generally demand's been quite steady because, um, you know, as I said, it's a staple. Um on the brewing, malting, and distilling side of things, I think they've seen slight impact from the cost of living crisis as well. But it's again, it's those premium craft beers um, that have struggled. Whereas, um, you know, the bigger breweries and uh, maltsters and distilling plants, um, they haven't seen such a big impact of that. And actually, barley usage for human industrial consumption this year has been really good so i wouldn't say there's been a huge impact on domestic demand um as a result of that that's good to know so julie thinking about your um benchmarking groups do you see much variations in what the priorities are depending on where in the country the groups are based Yes, uh, we see a bit of variation in terms of uh, scale of businesses, uh, which does vary um, quite a bit from um, the groups. So I work with groups in, in the borders of Scotland. I work with a group um, up in the Black Isles. So there's there's quite a spread um, miles in between them, as well as different farming um land types and systems. So um, some of the groups that I work with um, are all arable farmers, straight arable farms, and others um, are from mixed farms. So again, there's, there's slightly different priorities in terms of what they're growing and whether they're growing for um, a multi-market, a feed market, again, depending on the structure of their business and how they're, they're set up. And also, of course, where they're based in terms of being able to access various markets. Um, so for example, um, up in the Black Isle, they have access to um, molten barley markets, um, a bit easier than some of the other groups. Um, however, their um, crops like oilseed rape and winter wheat um, can come at a bit of a cost to them due to haulage, getting them off farm because of where they are location-wise. So I think, you know, location-wise has quite a... 
um, quite an impact on farmers all across Scotland um, in comparison to um, farmers across England that we that we work with in FarmBench. That definitely does show the importance of benchmarking with your local farmers rather than benchmarking to the whole of UK or the whole of Scotland because there is those variations. And some may say that some people are at an advantage to them, but it just depends where you are and what you have available to you. Do interest rates go and have an impact on the grain markets? Because I know there's been a lot of talk about the rapidly increasing interest rates at the moment. Yeah, so they, they're definitely something to consider. Um, you know, someone in my team did quite a bit of work on uh, whether it's better to store or sell your grain. I think earlier in the season, you know, when that price started to come down, a lot of farmers were choosing to store perhaps more than maybe they usually would um, in the hope that the price would come back up to where it had been. Um, but actually, I think with those high interest rates, the conclusion that kind of came to in the work was that actually... I think you benefited more at the time anyway um, of selling your grain earlier on um, and, you know, thinking about the cost that it it is to store your grain as well um, and then get that money in the bank and be earning interest on what you can um, while the interest rates are high. So, yeah, it's definitely something to consider. Um, Obviously, at this point in the season, a lot of farmers will probably be having to to shift grain either way because you know they need the, the sheds clear ready for harvest in most cases um but yeah definitely definitely earlier on in the season and as we move forward it's important to look at those interest rates and weigh up the cost of storing your grain that is definitely an interesting point though is the cost of storing your grain because you might think you're going to get that little bit more money but it might not actually pay off in the long run so, Julie, are interest rates looking likely to have an impact on the benchmarking? I think it will um, going forward, Tiffany, depending on obviously what happens going forward with interest rates. But um, because of changes, this may have an impact on how people are going to um, utilise um any extra cash or not any extra cash, whatever the whatever the case may be, um, when it comes to investing in things like new machinery, and new property, um, for those that are looking to potentially expand um, and scale up, the cost of putting in new grain storage or a new grain dryer, as an example, um, you know, has has went through the roof, and that's going to have an impact on whether they decide to go down that route. Um, or not. So I think, you know, utilising a tool like FarmBench and knowing exactly what it is costing them to do, um, they can then build in the impact into interest rates are having before they make any decisions on whether to to scale up or invest in a new piece of equipment or um, new property on the farm. So definitely better to benchmark before rather than doing it in hindsight then. Yes, absolutely. Keeping um, your cost of production, you know, in, in mind all the time. And we do look at it on an annual basis with the groups, but doing budgets and that forecasting forward and revisiting it throughout the year um, really is the key point to making the most of it. Um, so, Olivia, what tips could you go and give to farmers when they're thinking about um, the grain markets and what they're doing themselves with their marketing? I think just, you know, stay informed and 
and look at the information that's out there and maybe our um not forecast but you know whether we think the market's bearish or bullish um and like i said yeah just think about maybe forward selling um yeah just know know what's going on with demand as well um are those demand centers strong in the uk um how much is being grown and what that might mean for you in your area specifically as well um so yeah and i think combining that cost of production and budgeting like julie was talking about um and knowing at what point what where your break-even point is and um where you need to be to to make a decent margin um so just use the market intelligence to um you know figure out when is the best point to sell your grain that's definitely good advice and julie what top tips do you have for farmers when it comes to benchmarking I think it's not to get too hung up on the numbers. Um, the numbers are obviously important when it comes to um, utilising a programme such as FarmBench and going through the benchmarking process. But the conversations that we have in the group and that learning from peers is really one of the key uh, parts of it. And I think that's the real success of the groups and how they have continued for many, many years. Um, obviously, the, the more accurate you are with the numbers, the better um idea you've got of your costs, of your production figures, of your potential marketing opportunities. But I think as an initial um, or introduction to FarmBench, it's important not to get too hung up on those costs um, and utilise the, the expertise from farmers in the surrounding area and for farmers in the group um, to hear their experiences and learn from that as well. Um, I think that's the, the really important bit is that peer-to-peer -peer learning element. Just a little bit of a plug, I suppose, for FarmBench as a tool. Um, I think you know it's a really great tool to get involved with. There is a real huge network of farmers across the UK now utilising the tool. Um, so that opportunity is there to get involved with a group or utilise it as an individual and access those comparisons, whether they're local comparisons or national comparisons. Um, because of the period of turmoil change the agricultural industry has been through, knowing your cost of production now is more important than, than ever. And also on, on the side of Olivia that's talked on the, the markets, you know, knowing that costs and then utilising it to make a marketing strategy is going to put you in a better place as a business going forward. If you have a look in the show notes, there'll be a link to FarmBench and I'm sure Julie will be more than happy to have a chat to you about it as well. Thank you, Julie and Olivia. That has been really interesting and I definitely think it's worthwhile thinking about your benchmarking or thinking about what markets um, you're going to be looking at this season and in the future. If you want to find out more about FarmBench and what else AHDB are up to, have a look in the show notes below. Next up, we have an update from out in the field. Hello, my name is Mark Brasher-Gibbs. I'm a consultant with SAC Consulting based in Edinburgh. As the days lengthen, our thoughts turn to spring crop nutrition. Sulfur is often regarded as the fourth most important nutrient after N, P and K. And the best guide for assessing the possible risk of any sulfur deficiency is usually soil type and winter rainfall. The lighter the soil and the higher the rainfall, the greater the risk. And particularly after the heavy rains experienced over the winter, 
the risk to crops is potentially greater than normal this year. Sulfur is, of course, included in a number of nitrogen fertilizer products. And there are also standalone sulfur products such as polysulfate and gypsum. But whichever application route is chosen, it's good practice to include sulfur as part of your nutrient budgeting. A sulfur deficiency in cereals causes paling of the younger leaves initially, and severely deficient crops are stunted and uniformly pale. Sulfur deficiency can easily be confused with nitrogen deficiency, but nitrogen deficiency usually affects older leaves first. In all-seed rape, the middle and upper leaves can show intervenal yellowing, and some leaves of severely deficient all-seed rape plants are cupped upwards, the margins of a purple tinge, and flower petals are paler than normal. Winter all-seed rape is particularly sensitive to a shortage of sulphur, and the application of 75 kgs a hectare of SO3 as part of the first spring top dressing is recommended. Where deficiency is possible in winter and spring sown cereals, the recommended rate is 40 kgs of SO3 per hectare, applied as part of the first spring top dressing and adjusted for expected yield. Bear in mind that soil analysis alone is not deemed sufficiently reliable for diagnosing or predicting sulphur deficiency. And technical note number 685, available on Scotland's Farm Advisory Service website, gives further details on recommended application rates for cereals and all seed rape. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast to get notifications for future episodes. Why not try listening to Rural Roundup? A fortnightly show which is bringing you the latest updates on what is currently happening in the agricultural sector. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.